Just a little reminder from the Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer, while evil, evils are sufferable, than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies and such is now the necessity which constrains them to the alter their former systems of government. I think a lot of us have forgotten, forgotten the Declaration of Independence. Um, without a copy of it in your hands, do you even know, I mean, really what most of the Constitution even holds in it? I mean, I think people have forgotten that we have a constitution. And a lot of blood, sweat, and tears were dropped to provide this freedom that we slowly just let our government erode. And if we don't decide to do something soon... Um, this uh, country that was the United States of America, it will probably need to be renamed something else because it's pretty divided right now. And it's not going to get any better under the certain circumstances that we're heading towards. And I'm going to tear into a few things here. And we're going to talk about who's standing up for us. Because as of right now, it's definitely not our representatives. We'll get into that in just a moment. So I don't know if anybody even uh, checks up on this. I mean, it's pretty mind-boggling at what we're at now. Our U.S. national debt is $28 trillion. 790 billion, 670 million, and the other numbers are counting so fast I can't even keep up with it. So we are also coming into an infrastructure debt 
and uh, Congress, the House and the Senate, are going to be working on bills to, uh, they say, try and avert a government shutdown, which every time we've seen a government shutdown, what have they told us? Oh, well, it won't be shutting all the government down, just the non-essential parts of the government. Non-essential parts of the government. Now, I know it sucks that these people have got to lose their jobs or lose their paychecks, but that tells me that our government is way too big. And it being at whatever, twenty, what did I just say, $28 trillion something dollars in debt. And they keep just, oh, well, we just got to do this or we just got to do that. And, you know, it'll all be hunky-dory. They've kicked this can for decades now. Oh, just around the corner, we'll get this stuff under under control. Well, maybe it's time for it to go out of control, and it's going to suck for everybody. But there is no end to that debt calculator. Keep going up. So here we have a story from NBC News titled, Infrastructure, Debt and Trillions in Spending. Where Congress stands on key deadlines. Congress has a lot on its plate. Lawmakers are seeking to pass government funding legislation to avert a shutdown by September 30th. They are looking at disaster aid for storms and wildfires and extra money to assist Afghan evacuees. They're trying to extend the debt limit to avert default ahead of an expected October deadline. And Democrats are looking to pass the infrastructure bill while completing a sweeping multi-trillion dollar package of social spending and tax priorities all on a compressed timeline. Some of the items are are non-controversial, but they're connected to the contentious provisions. Quote, I've been here for cliffs and crisis and wars, and this is going to be the biggest mashup we've ever had since I've been here. With the debt limit, with a government shutdown, with reconciliation, and with infrastructure. And I have no idea how it all works out, said Rep. Peter DeFazio, Democrat from Oregon. And the problem is, is most of these people have been in Congress for decades. And nothing has gotten better. So what does that tell you? So here's where everything stands. Government funding. The Democratic-controlled House passed a stopgap bill Tuesday to keep the government funded at existing levels through December 3rd, which is, just like everything else in their spending packages, is unsustainable. Giving the two parties more time to come to a full-year agreement, that piece of the agenda isn't particularly controversial, and Democrats and Republicans have a general handshake agreement on how to address domestic and military spending to keep everyone happy. Which is part of the problem. It's these guys that have been in there for so long. It's a handshake. Oh, well, if you give our guys on this side this, we'll give you guys that. And screws everybody else down here. See, when all these government shutdowns go on, uh, do you know who doesn't go without their paychecks? Yeah, the the quote-unquote representatives. But for procedural reasons, the bill will be difficult to pass in the Senate. If it isn't signed into law by September 30th, 
the federal government will shut down. Like I say, maybe it's time for stuff to get really hard. And the whole world needs to have a whole entire... I mean, it's not just America that's completely into debt. I mean, how many different countries are we giving money to that owe us money or whatever the whole deal is? It's a big freaking scam anymore. I mean, that's really all it is. It's a scam. And it's the world banks that are loaning this money around. It's not really the countries. It's the world banks. So maybe it's time for a, a great reset, but not in the way the World Economic Forum wants it to happen. Start a, start everybody over at zero. And everybody has to figure their own shit out. Instead of everybody borrowing money or we're giving aid here and aid there and aid to everyone else except your own dang countries. Disaster aid. The House government funding bill will include $28.6 billion for relief from disasters, including Hurricane Ida and recent wildfires. The provision has broad support in both parties. There is also $6.3 billion to help Afghan evacuees by housing them temporarily at U.S. facilities, conducting security screenings, and helping resettle those coming to the U.S. The debt ceiling. A debt ceiling extension until December 2022 is in the House passed government funding bill that could endanger its passage in the Senate where Republicans have filibuster power and have said they won't lift it. The Treasury Department has said the U.S. will reach the borrowing limit sometime in October, warning of serious harm to the economy if Congress doesn't act to extend it. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell Representative of Kentucky, Republican, insists that GOP senators won't provide the minimum of 10 votes to break filibuster, which could risk a government shutdown and default. Republicans say Democrats should raise the limit in the sweeping multi-trillion dollar package that they hope to pass on a party-line vote. Democrats have refused, saying they won't set a precedent in which only one party is responsible for paying the country's bills, which both parties have racked up over many years, which is not False. That is definitely true. Both parties have racked up this debt over years and years and years and decades. Some Democrats also warn that the bar the partisan mega bill may not be done by the October deadline. So we get into the infrastructure bill. Last month, the Senate passed a bipartisan bill to authorize $550 billion in new spending on surface transportation measures like roads, bridges, and public transit. It won 69 votes, all 50 Democrat voting members and 19 Republicans, but its future in the House is murky. Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Democrat of California that has been in office way too long, has promised centrist lawmakers that it will come up for a vote in the House by Monday, and Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, Democrat of Maryland, said it'll happen that day. The fate of the infrastructure package may be linked to the mega bill. The chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, Rep. Pramila Jayapal, Democrat from Washington, has promised that dozens of Democrats will defect and vote the infrastructure bill down if the larger spending bill hasn't passed the Senate first. Jayapal met with Pelosi for 90 minutes on Tuesday and told reporters she made clear to the Speaker that if we don't have the reconciliation bill done, the infrastructure bill will not pass. Biden's mega bill. This legislation is in the hands of Pelosi, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, and President Joe Biden. Their task is to trim 
the $3.5 trillion price tag to a level that can pass through the wafer-thin Democratic majorities. They have zero votes to spare in the Senate and just three in the House. In a letter Monday, Pelosi put Democrats on notice that they will craft a bill that can pass both chambers and that the spending level could drop. It is unclear when it will be ready for a vote, but Schumer made clear it won't pass the Senate before Monday. House leaders will face a difficult choice whether to hold the infrastructure vote or delay it. The bill is the centerpiece of Biden's domestic agenda with a slew of investments in Obamacare subsidies, Medicare expansion, universal pre-K, child cash payments, climate change measures, and more. They intend to raise taxes on corporations and on people making above $400,000. Because they've kind of got themselves in a, a pretty big pickle here, if we don't raise taxes, or somebody doesn't raise the taxes, or somebody doesn't pay more in taxes, uh, there's going to be a sweeping... I think that whole debt crash thing is going to come a lot sooner and a lot harder than a lot of people are expecting it to, which will go into with inflation and all kinds of stuff. And basically, shortages. I mean, epic socialist country food gas shortages, all that stuff is going to come down the pipeline. Republicans have trashed it as a reckless tax and spending spree. Democrat leaders are working to resolve a number of policy differences and pull together the votes to get it over the finish line. Many of the policies are popular, and if that holds, the party hopes to run on the legislation in the midterm elections. But first, they have to pass it. Failure is not an option. So basically what they're saying is they're trying to buy off votes. That's what it sounds like. I mean, that's it's kind of what these politicians have gotten into is the the act of buying buying votes by what can we give our constituents to to give us their vote. To keep us in power, to keep putting us farther and farther into debt and impoverish more and more of us. And, you know, people on the left want to say, oh, the rich keep getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And it's like there's this big wealth gap. And it's like, well, duh, because if you're not connected in the political scheme. And just like this whole COVID thing starting off, how many how many businesses, small business, not the big business, you know, they were deemed as necessary or whatever they called it, the necessary businesses to stay open but if you owned a small restaurant or a gym or anything like that you were forced to close down in most most places oh while amazon i mean they i don't even know how many times over they got wealthy walmarts all your big chains yeah they all stayed open they were Essential. That's the word I was looking for. And that's why we are where we are now. Oh, let's see. Failure is not an option. House Democratic Caucus Chair Hakeem Jeffries, Democrat from New York, said Tuesday, the votes will be there for both the bipartisan infrastructure agreement and the Build Back Better Act. I'm trying to determine what is this build back better because so far everything's on a destructive path downward. 
So I don't really know when a lot of this crap is going to start happening. But there's not really a good ending to this book. <laughs> At least not this chapter. I just don't see a, a good ending coming to it. So, anyways, we got representatives that have been in, in office for a long time. Republican, all of them, pretty much. Have all basically submitted to the swamp, for the most part. On the Republican and Democrat side, they're constantly asking for money for this or that, or their their next upcoming campaign funds. But in my opinion, none of us should be giving them any money. We already give them a pretty fat salary. And yes, I do understand it takes a lot of money to run advertisement and stuff like that. Uh, but you're giving money to the party, typically. Not to any one candidate. So they're constantly fundraising for the party. Now I get it, there's a lot of big money donors, especially corporations, on both sides. You know, the Democrats just say, oh, well, the Republicans are all for for the corporate money. And they're big donors and they complain about it all the time, all while getting big stacks of money themselves from more liberal corporations. But they don't want you to know that. The news media doesn't want you to know that. They just want you to think that the, the, the Republicans are them evil corporatists and whatever else. Evil capitalists. All while they're doing the same exact stuff. But the media covers for them. So, I'm going to take a little break here. Just due to the fact that I'm going to wind up some other stuff here. We'll do these in little smaller segments. And we'll go into some other stuff here about government regulations. And basically how they force you into submission. Especially if you don't have the, the kind of capital it takes to fight back against anything. Most of these, uh, you know, these more growing woke corporations are just giving in to whatever the government tells them to, to do, basically. So we'll get into that here in a moment. We'll be right back. All right, and we're back. So I didn't really actually find like a total number of pages, but on Wikipedia, there's basically 50 different titles of categories, I guess you could call them. Um, anywhere from food and drugs, energy, federal elections, banks and banking, uh, grants and agreements, agriculture, education, Parks, force, and public property, patents, trademarks, copyrights, postal service, shipping, telecommunication, you know, basically clear down to wildlife and fisheries. 
Um, let's see here. The Federal Register Act. So that's kind of where all these things are categorized. Uh, and then you can go and look up and go through each one of these regulatory titles. So how many pages are actually <laughs> in there? Uh, it's probably astounding. These are the uh, federal regulations. These are just federal regulations. This isn't talking about anything that goes along into the states, too. That's a whole separate category of its own. Let's just pick, hmm, just pick, let's just say energy is Title 10. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Department of Energy, Part 0 to 199 are the requirements and reserved for the requirements prescribed by the United States Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Uh, I don't know what that all means. Uh, so this, this is through Wikipedia. It doesn't really give you what's really supposed to be in there. Let me see if I can go back here and find... Code of Federal... Reg that's Wikipedia. Okay, well, here's Tax Foundation. Let's see what that says. Federal tax laws and regulations are now over 10 million words long. Well, that doesn't seem too bad. <laughs> In a recent Pew poll, 72% of Americans said that they were bothered by how complex the federal tax system is. Well, that's a tax. Tax laws and regulations. Well, anyways, there's another example right there of something that's rigged against the regular person. So if you've got over 10 million words in length, which a lot of it is uh, lawyer jargon, and a lot of the loopholes comes in wording, that essentially corporations and people with lots of money can pay teams of lawyers, basically, how to find all these loopholes and to get away with paying pretty much zero in taxes, especially corporations. Or if they do have to pay taxes, they estimate it into what they got to make through profit margin error, whatever you want to call it, and pass the cost on to you and me buying their goods. Uh, but it's something, too, that none of our representatives want to take on. I mean, they, they <laughs> attempted it in the wind, you know, trying to bring it down to a flat tax with a two-page tax code. But, yeah, that pretty much got shot down. And why wouldn't it? Because most of the members of Congress use this outlandishly crazy tax code to benefit them in the long run. So... I mean, representation in this country anymore really is kind of a weird word. And I don't think it really means what it used to. <laughs> uh, tax complexity creates real costs for American taxpayers in the U.S. economy. Americans spend $6.1 billion hours and $233.8 billion complying with the tax code. <laughs> Due to increasing tax complexity, over 90% of taxpayers now hire professional tax preparers or use tax preparation software. Why is the federal tax code so complex? In part, it's because politicians have used the tax code to administer dozens of areas of federal policy. 
from healthcare to energy to education. In part, it's because defining income and determining tax liability are inherently difficult tasks. And in part, it's because politicians have not made any serious effort to simplify the federal tax code for at least 30 years, instead adding on new provisions on top of one another. (laughs) To get a sense of exactly how complex the federal tax code is, I've selected 100 words at random from the middle of the code. A. In general, the net surrender value of any contract shall be determined. I. With regard to any penalty or charge which would be imposed or surrendered on surrender, but without regard to any market value adjustment on surrender. Special rule for pension plan contracts. Uh, In the case of a pension plan contract, the balance in the policyholder's fund shall be treated as the net surrender value of such contract. For purpose of the preceding sentence, such balance shall be determined with regard to any penalty or forfeiture which would be imposed on surrender, but without regard to any market value adjustment. And it goes on and blah, blah, blah. But what it basically comes down to, though, is... If you think you make, I don't know, let's just say $100,000 a year as a, a rounded off number. How much of that are you really getting? Because out of that $100,000, you're going to be paying income tax right off the bat. Also on that, you're going to be paying, uh, if you have health insurance, you're paying that off there. You're also going to be paying Medicare, uh, Social Security. There's some other thing plus state taxes on on every paycheck. So now, if you subtracted out out how much of that you're paying throughout the year on that hundred thousand dollars, let's just say that's twenty thousand dollars of it in all those adequates there. So you're actually bringing home eighty thousand. Well, not so fast. So on that $80,000, let's say you're paying for gas, which you pay tax on, food, which you're paying tax on, clothing you're paying tax on, uh, repairs on your vehicles, taxed. Everything else you do, you're taxed on all of those dollars you're spending. So all of them dollars are actually worth less than the 80000 So probably by the time it's all said and done, Especially if you have a mortgage payment, you're probably bringing home maybe fifty thousand. So roughly after all that, you're well, and then depending on it, what tax bracket that hundred thousand puts you in, you'll be paying a higher tax rate altogether. So you may still owe the government money. <laughs> So even though our dollar is slowly declining in value due to inflation, and like I've said before, I don't know if you've been to the grocery store lately, but the supply chain is getting pretty dramatically affected by lack of workers in the delivery service, the actual manufacturing service of bringing all these goods to packaging, and then they've got to be delivered to the food market. So with all those being short, but the demand is still there, or if not getting higher, places are going to start charging more for it. 
and certain places just aren't going to be able to get it because it's being rationed out to wherever, and hence the shelves are looking bare and bare. So enough about tax laws and regulations, that's just part of the whole problem. But the corruption, just in general, within, well, let's see, we've got, oh, in our, between our military top brass, FBI, CIA, NSA, FDA, basically every government agency and bureaucracy that realistically needs to be purged of all these people that have been there, like they say, through multiple presidencies. So they've got ways of making things work for them, which also doesn't work for us. See, so we've had, I mean, just in the last little while, what we've had, uh, the 9-11 stuff, we've had Benghazi, Hillary's emails, her private server, uh, Comey said there's no charges there, Mueller investigation and the probe into Trump. Uh, he was said there is plenty of things for charging for obstruction, but doesn't. Uh, I mean, now we're into the Durham probe, and it, I mean he's what indicted one one person, I think, which was a Clinton lawyer or something like that. So it's like anybody that's high up and connected, one way or another, doesn't seem to get punished at all. It's like it's kind of. Somebody makes a big scene about it. It might be a story for a day and that's everybody would just move on to something else. And nothing ever happens to these people. No, not one of them gets logged. They have fall guys. Find the fall guy. Oh, look, we prosecuted someone. But realistically, it didn't really touch into the knit and grit of what was really going on past that person. I mean, I don't even know how long this Durham report's going to keep going on for. I mean, it's already been, what, a few years? October 24, 2019. Uh, let's see. Uh, that was when it was announced that Durham's investigation had shifted once again, this time into a criminal investigation. Um... I don't even know what, I mean, this, there's a big old report here on the, uh, Epic Times. What is it? What is it article here? It's called Infographic Timeline of the Durham Investigation. Um, this, okay, so this is a little bit earlier. So this one came out June 14th. This is even an older one. So this isn't even going to say any of the indictment stuff. Uh, well, this doesn't really tell me anything. I thought it was going to tell me something important, but I guess not. My point is, though, is there's no... Nobody's really going down for corruption. Because, I mean, it could literally go through pretty much every part of our government. And a lot of institutions, probably. I mean... Fauci could probably be, I would say, with his involvement with all of this gain-of-function stuff, could be guilty of, you know, who knows what, but they won't 
pursue it because obviously you've got Joe Biden in there and his DOJ. And as long as Fauci's doing whatever Joe Biden wants him to do and say, nobody's going to push anything towards Fauci. Um, also, the old Joe Biden, Hunter Biden stuff. So, from the Daily Press, Patriot Daily Press, uh, there was an article from, let's see, May, earlier May, May 27th of this year. The real Joe Biden Burisma scandal isn't what you think it is. So, it goes on. Oh, crap. I don't know what I just pushed there. Hold on. Do 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 do. I hit I hit a little side button or something on there. Throughout Joe Biden's tenure as vice president, his son Hunter made lucrative business deals in countries where Joe Biden was the Obama administration's point person. Former President Donald Trump rightly raised questions about this scandal, but it seems that one aspect of the scandal was based on a lie. Joe Biden's remarks at the Council of Foreign Relations in 2018 suggested that the vice president may have pressured Ukraine to fire a prosecutor who was ostensibly investigating Burisma, a corrupt Ukrainian gas company that had been paying Hunter Biden $83,333 per month to serve on the board. Newly released emails show that Hunter introduced at least one Burisma executive to his father. Many, including yours truly and other writers at PJ Media, have suggested that Joe Biden was protecting Hunter Biden by pressuring Ukraine to fire the prosecutor, Victor Shokin. Yet it seems we all got taken in by a notorious, fabulist Joe Biden himself. Biden bragged about getting Shokin fired. Quote, they were walking out of the press conference. I said, nah, we're not going to give you the billion dollars. They said, you have no authority. You're not the president. The president said... I call. I said, call him. I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion, Biden said in 2018. That's kind of their rough outline, I think. I looked at them and said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor is not fired, you're not getting the money. Well, son of a bee, he got fired. And they put in some place someone who was solid at the time, Biden said. Uh, let's see, there's, maybe there's a piece over right here. Not I, I, but it just happened to be, that was the assignment I got. I, I, I got all the good ones. Uh, and uh, so I got Ukraine. And uh, um, I remember going over convincing our team, our brothers, to convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over, I guess, the 12th, 13th time to Kiev. And, uh, and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had they were walking out to press conference. Said, "No, I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars." I said, "You're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here." I think it was what six hours. I looked. I said, "I'm leaving in six hours." If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> Got fired. Okay, so that was his Council on Foreign Relations interview or whatever. But supposedly this article goes on. It says, while Biden's claim seems rather straightforward and Ukraine's government did indeed fire Shokin, the timeline doesn't add up. 
Biden suggested that Ukraine fired Shokin within the six hours before the VP left the country, but Biden only visited Ukraine six times as vice president, and none of those six visits lines up with Shokin's firing. Biden went to Ukraine on December 7th and 8th, 2015. The Ukrainian parliament voted to remove Shokin more than four months later in late March 2016. In other words, Biden was fibbing. More specifically, the former vice president appears to have fabricated a story that he thought would make him look good, but it backfired. Biden's defenders have long noted that EU and U.S. officials faulted Shokin for not investigating Burisma enough. They claimed that Biden was not trying to protect Burisma by trying to oust Shokin, but they seemed to take Biden's remarks at face value. Biden was indeed not alone in calling for Shokin's ouster, and that means his suggestion that he unilaterally got Shokin fired was an extreme exaggeration. The reality is far less interesting than both the right and the left imagined. Biden wasn't trying to protect Burisma and Hunter Biden, and he wasn't an impressive lone crusader against Shokin's corruption. Instead, he was just one of many voices speaking against Shokin, and there's no reason to take his claim about the $1 billion at face value. In fact, Biden is notorious fabulist. In August 2019, the Washington Post busted Biden's claims that he had pinned a silver star on an elderly Navy captain in Afghanistan. This story represented merely the latest version of a tale Biden had repeatedly fabricated. As the Post's Matt Visor explained, in the space of three minutes, Biden got the time period, the location, the heroic act, the type of medal, the military branch, and the rank of the recipient wrong, as well as his own role in the ceremony. And it wasn't the first time. Biden has also made false claims about the Heritage Foundation and the Trump tax cuts, as he is well known for meandering stories that exaggerate his role in historical events, like his evolving story about his role in the assassination of Osama bin Laden, like the Silver Star story and and the bin Laden tale, the Shokin ouster narrative likely represented another Biden fable, not a shocking confession about a quid pro quo to protect Hunter Biden's corrupt employer. None of this erased the fact Races the fact that Hunter Biden's business deals still represent a serious scandal for Joe Biden, however. Hunter Biden did rake in serious dough, seemingly cashing in on his father's influence in foreign countries like Ukraine, Kazakhstan, and China. Tony Bobolinsky, a former associate of Hunter's, claimed that Joe Biden was personally involved in some of the China deals. Hunter Biden even introduced his business partners to his father, while Joe Biden was vice president. The the real Burisma scandal isn't the fact that Biden falsely took credit for Shokin's ouster, but the fact that Biden met a Burisma executive at a swanky restaurant in Washington, D.C. in 2015. This seriously undermines Joe Biden's claim that he did not know anything about his son's extremely worrisome business deals. So there's that. (laughs) And then there's also... Uh, what's this one from PJ media that there was a laptop bombshell. Hunter Biden introduced his dad to business cronies in 2015. And let's see, this story goes on. According to documents on the laptop, Hunter Biden abandoned at a repair shop in Delaware. Hunter introduced his father, then vice president Joe Biden to an executive at the notoriously corrupt Ukrainian gas firm Burisma at a dinner in Washington, D.C. Burisma was paying Hunter Biden 83000 per month to sit on the firm's board. Hunter's Russian and Kazakh business partners also attended the dinner. Hunter Biden invited guests to the dinner on April 16th, 
2015 held in the private garden room at Cafe Milano, a Georgetown restaurant whose catchphrase is where the world's most powerful people go. The New York Post first reported on the emails on Wednesday. The next day, Vadim Pozarski, whatever that name is, uh, an executive at Burisma emailed Hunter Biden to thank him for introducing his father. Hmm. Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving an opportunity to meet your father and spent something, some time together. Po- Pozorski wrote on April 17th, 2015, it's realty. I think it's supposed to be really. It's really an honor and pleasure. Oh, and then here it shows a little screenshot of it. Oh, so that was just kind of paraphrasing. So the screenshot of this one says, Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving an opportunity to meet your father and spend some time together. It's really an honor and pleasure. As we spoke yesterday evening, would be great to meet today for a quick coffee. What do you think? I could come to your office somewhere around noon or so before or on my way to airport. Hunter Biden also invited Russian billionaire Yelena Baturina and her husband, corrupt former Moscow mayor Yuri Lushkov, to the dinner on February 14, 2014. Baturina had wired $3.5 million to Rosemont Seneca Thornton, LLC, a Delaware-based investment firm that Hunter had co-founded with Devin Archer, a former advisor to then-Secretary of State John Kerry. The U.S. Treasury flagged the wire transfer and suspicious activity reports it provided to a Senate Republican probe into Hunter Biden. Before the dinner, Hunter Biden told guests that his father would attend. In one email, he appeared to use his role on the board of World Food Program USA as a cover story for the evening's true purpose, introducing his father to his business partners, which would, again, make Joe Biden a serious liar when he says he had no idea what Hunter's business dealings are. Uh, I mean, I'm, that's, I'm sure it's in the archive somewhere if, we, if I looked hard enough. Okay, the reason for this dinner is is ostensibly to discuss food security, Hunter Biden wrote on March 26 to Michael Carlautsos, son of the then head of the Greek Orthodox Church. Dad will be there, but keep that between us for now. Thanks. Carlautsos replied, Everything is between us all good. I know you mentioned your dad would probably join the dinner as well. Hunter Biden also invited three officials from Kazakhstan, including Mark Holtzman, then the chairman of Kazakhstan's largest bank, Kazkomerts Bank. A Mexican ambassador and representatives of World Food Program USA appeared on the list, which Hunter Biden emailed to Archer three weeks before the dinner. The New York Post published the full list. Two seats for Yelena. Anyways, it goes on to that one. But It remains unclear whether everyone on Hunter's list attended the meeting. Archer notified Hunter Biden that Bacharina did not want to come, but he said her husband would attend. Archer concluded his email with this message. Quote, obviously save a seat for your guy and mine if he's in town. The post suggested Archer's guy would likely have been Carrie, although the identity remains unclear. Rick, Rick Leach, founder of the U.S. branch of the World Food Program, sent Hunter Biden an email after the dinner saying, What a fantastic and productive evening. Thank you. Kazakh banker Holtzman also emailed the VP's son, Dear Hunter, 
Thank you for an amazing evening, wonderful company, and great conversation. I look forward to seeing you soon and too many opportunities to work closely together. The emails, the post survey, did not identify the other two Kazakhs on Hunter Biden's guest list. However, on the morning of the dinner, Archer had been invited to a small private breakfast with Kazakh Prime Minister Karim Masamov. The following year, Hunter Biden would describe Masamov Mazimov, maybe that's what it is, in an email as a close friend. Hunter Biden had business dealings in Kazakhstan with an associate of Mazimov, oligarch Kenneth Kenneth Rakishev. His correspondence with Rakishev appears on the laptop. Rakishev's company, Novitas, wired $142,300 to Archer's firm, Rosemont Seneca Bohai, LLC, on April 22, 2014, according to the Republican Senate report, the wire included a note claiming the money was for a car. Hmm. That's an expensive car. Masimov and Rakishev appear in an unverified photograph with Joe and Hunter Biden, which a Kazakh anti-corruption website posted in 2019. And then, I mean, this thing goes on for a while longer, too, but there's also... Uh, let's see, what was this other article? So this one's a newer one, uh, from a day ago. So Politico confirms emails from Hunter Biden laptop. This from Mediate. It goes on. Well, let me see. Let me check my time here. All right, I'm about out of time. I'm going to take a quick break right back and we'll finish this next article into all this lovely corruption we have in our government. Be right back. And we're back. Here we go on this one. Uh, what did I say it was? Mediate. But the they must just be reporting the political, or the politico. Uh, whatever they reported on. Politico's Ben Schreckinger said Tuesday that a source corroborated several of Hunter Biden's emails, including one believed to suggest giving his father, President Joe Biden, equity in a Chinese company. Quote, a person who had independent access to Hunter Biden's emails confirmed he did receive a 2015 email from a Ukrainian businessman thanking him for the chance to meet Joe Biden, Politico said, citing Schreckinger's new book released on Tuesday, The Bidens, The Inside Family's 50-Year Rise to Power. Quote, the same goes for a 2017 email in which a proposed equity breakdown of a venture with Chinese energy executives includes the line, 10 held by H for the big guy, unquote. Politico said the source recalled seeing both emails, but was not in a position to compare the leaked emails word for word to the originals. The emails have been a source of contention since the New York Post published copies of them, including the equity email, in an October 15th report, just weeks before the presidential election. The emails were said to have been obtained from a damaged laptop the president's son left at a computer repair store in Delaware in April 2019. The store's owner, John Paul Mac Isaac, turned the laptop over to former President Donald Trump's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, when Biden failed to retrieve it. Which I don't know why he'd give it to Giuliani, but I don't know. If he was like a lot of other people and don't trust the FBI, then I guess it kind of makes sense. Giuliani provided the computer to numerous media outlets, but just the Post was initially willing to publish its contents. Mainstream media outlets and tech companies widely bewailed the move, however, opting to treat the claims as unconfirmed. 
Taxpayer-funded National Public Radio refused to acknowledge the allegations, with managing editor Terrence Samuels saying the outlet didn't want to, quote, waste our time on stories that are not really stories. You know, because Hunter Biden, you know, being uh, in all these corrupt, weird, lots of money deals with possibility of his father, Joe Biden, running for president of the United States. But, you know, it's not not something we want to waste our time on. It's not really a story. Twitter, meanwhile, briefly banned the post's account and prohibited users from sharing stories on the topic, claiming they violated Twitter's policy on publishing, quote, hacked material. <laughs> the only hacker really is anymore is Twitter. I mean, I'm sorry, if you use Twitter, I would just get off of it. It's like, I don't know, it's garbage. Oh, let's see, Facebook's response fell short of an outright ban, though the company did take measures to suppress the story's organic spread. Now, here's the thing, you know, these all these big tech companies, after Hillary lost to Trump, said... Before this last election, we want to do more to prevent false information. You know, and that's when all the fact checkers came into play. Yeah, I'm right, huh? And uh, it seemed like any of this collusion stuff that they were supposedly trying to get away from anybody colluding to change the outcome of the elections was all done by these big tech media outlets, including the media. So I don't know why they, you know, they can't understand why people don't trust them anymore. <laughs> and really, I mean, I don't even know why I'm still even on Facebook myself, which before too much longer, I might just throw in the towel. Whether or not anybody else wants to do it or not, that's up to you guys. But, yeah, anyways. <clears throat> Twitter, meanwhile, briefly banned the post account. Oh, wait, did I already read that one? Sorry. Yep, I did. Uh, da -da -da -da. Skip skeptical observers questions on questioned on Tuesday whether Politico's confirmation of the allegations added much value to the record, including Glenn Greenwald. Quote, conservative outlets almost immediately published the proof that the Hunter docs about Joe, Joe's business dealings were real, the same proof I and others used to authenticate large ar archives like Snowden and Brazil, including verifying that others have the same docs word for word. Greenwald wrote in, on Twitter. He was quoting an earlier comment by Chuck Ross, who wrote, Conservative news outlets have confirmed time and again that emails from Hunter's laptop were authentic. It's not a new revelation, just because Politico finally figured it out. Uh, and there's a tweet from Glenn Greenwald. Yes, conservatives outlets almost immediately published the proof that Hunter docs about Joe's business dealings were real. The same proof I and others use. Oh, that's what I just read. Sorry. I get for reading this stuff in line. Uh, uh, da -da 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 -da. Down the aisle. Here we go. The junior Biden de declined to address the laptop prior to the 2020 election, but said in April he couldn't be sure whether it belonged to him. 
Certainly, there could be a laptop out there that was stolen from me, Biden said in an interview. It could be that I was hacked. It could be that it was Russian intelligence. You know, that's their go-to. It's always the Russians. <laughs> Those darn Ruskies. It could be that it was stolen from me. <laughs> oh, let's see. Where are we at? Is that all they got? Oh, all right. Well, that's, looks like that's the end of that story. But, you know, if it's anything like his father, he's a liar. <laughs> but like I've said at the first of this, it's like, who is standing up for us? Because you can't really. There's nobody in the middle anymore. It's left or right. And neither side is going in a good direction, in my opinion. Uh. Unfortunately, though, I mean, if you, you're looking at it from the outside, the left definitely has the advantage because they've got the media. So another point to take into consideration is quit watching the media because pretty much anymore, it's 99% propaganda. I mean, you've seen it with, especially now COVID, like all the crap that's gone down with that. And the covering of, you know, certain political people's uh, wrongdoings. Some of it got out, but then, you know, it was like, whoever they were politically makes up some lame excuse and they are just forgiven of it. Just like all of the BLM riots. And the Antifa riots. Well, it's, you know. It's okay to do that, you know, in large crowds screaming and yelling. You know, it's not, COVID's not really that big of a deal as long as you're protesting against injustice. I mean, it's, it's laughable if it wasn't so serious. And it's also kind of one of those things that if you live in a blue state and you don't agree with the blue state policies, if you can, you need to leave those states. Because until those states totally fall apart under their own stupidity, uh, and I don't think you want to be around there when it happens, you need to get to a red state. And I'm not saying that that's the answer to everything, but the times that are coming, it's your best option. Do whatever you can to get out of those blue states. If you want to look at just the, like California, for example, if you're a Republican in California, you're pretty much screwed. So the state population, let's see, California population, 2021. So let's see what it says there. Na, 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 na. Almost 40 or 40 million people. And LA pretty much determines everything that goes on in that state. Just the population of the people in LA County. So this one's saying California population 2021 is 39,613,493. So, you know, it's pretty 
pretty much 40,000 or 40 million. Um, let's go to Los Angeles. Los Angeles population. So you got almost 4 million people just in Los Angeles County. Or in Los Angeles, not even the county. So it says they have a population density of 8,500 people per square mile. The average household income in Los Angeles is 96000 with a poverty rate of 18%. Median rental cost in recent years comes to 1450 per month and the median house value... Uh, let's see, let's see, where did I go there? Oh, stupid things. Bouncing all over the place. So I when all the ads start popping up. Do, 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 do. Um, let's see, where was I? Uh, and the median house value is 636000 The median age in Los Angeles is 35 years. 34 years for males and 36 years for females. That's another thing, too, with the homeless population growing in California because they know that uh, the government's really friendly to you being a bum and doing drugs and living on the streets all at the expense of the taxpayer. I mean, if you agree with that, then that's great, but if you don't, your tax money goes towards the people that are supposedly trying to fix the homeless crisis. Now, uh, Joe Rogan had Kalyan Noir on there on his uh, podcast a while ago and actually brought that up. And they looked it up and there's like people that are supposedly trying to solve this homeless problem are making hundreds of thousands of dollars in salaries every year while the budget for the homeless crisis keeps going up. So you tell me what the incentive is there for them to fix the homeless crisis. There's not one. I mean, some of them were getting paid like 250 grand a year. Let me see if I can find it real quick. How much money is spent... On the homeless problem in California. Just go with California. And let's see. Okay, so this one's California 2019-2020 budget. California spending plan, housing and homelessness. Uh, let's see, grants to local governments to address homelessness. The budget includes $650 million for one-time grants to local governments to fund a variety of programs and services that address homelessness. This funding is divided among the state's 13 most populous cities. 
So, wow. So 650 million divided among the state's 13 most populous cities. And if you're not in one of those 13 cities, then all of your tax money is going to pay for that. Uh, counties get 175 million. Oh, wait, okay, so let's see. Maybe I was misreading this. This funding is divided among the state's 13 most populous cities. 275 million. Counties, 175 million. And continuums of care, 190 million. Local entities that administer housing assistance programs within a particular area, often covering a county or group of counties. Allocations to each local entity are based on the entity's share of the statewide homeless population in 2019. However, entities must apply for funding by describing their current efforts to address homelessness and how the state funds would be used. Entities have two years to expend the funds. Um, let's see. Funding for mixed income housing. The budget allocates $500 million to the California Housing Finance Agency's Mixed Income Loan Program, which provides loans to builders of housing targeted at low and middle income households. Funding for housing-related regu- infrastructure funding. The budget allocates $500 million to infill infrastructure grant program. So, I mean, how much total is all of this? Because there's like $250 million here for planning grants. Uh, another 500 in the state's low income. I mean, we've got to be talking in a few billion dollars here. Doesn't, since this is the government legislature's nonpartisan fiscal and policy advisor site, uh, probably doesn't want to give you a total. Let me see. Let's go to the budget. See what that one says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> governor's suspension, governor's proposition, California spending plan, education, economics, taxes, child care, health and human services, criminal justice. I don't even, I mean, people don't understand why certain states have higher taxes than others. Well, you can look into all the programs that states have for different things, especially homelessness. And there's why certain states have more homeless, popu- higher homeless populations than others. The reason why counties or even cities, certain cities will have a higher homeless population than others. I'm not finding the actual overall dollar amount, but. It's got to be outrageous. So anyways, all I'm trying to say here is if you don't agree with the policies, especially in states like that are hardcore blue, it's the reason, the same reason why we have the electoral college. Because if all it was was a popular vote, there's like a handful of major cities in the U.S. that are all hardcore blue That would determine the presidential election forever. Which is the same thing in California. New York basically determines the whole, their density population in that area. Inside of New York State. You know, New York, Brooklyn, all them, you know, 
places right there that are high density hold enough people to carry the whole state and however they decide to vote. Same with California. Same thing. So if you live the outskirts of these high-density cities, your vote basically really doesn't matter. So all I'm saying is try and regroup. Uh, let them states go down, unfortunately. But I don't see another way without just some super hard times coming our way of this thing ever getting better. And another one is to get all these people that have been in Congress for longer than 10 years, pretty much. Uh, it's time for them to go. They've all got plenty of money. They don't need the health care. They don't need all the extra benefits that they voted for themselves to acquire. And get out of there because your ideas obviously aren't working. $28 trillion and growing in debt. Oh, but if we just pass this spending bill, give you guys a little bit of money here and there in your bank accounts, you'll keep voting our stupid asses back in. And that's pretty much what's been happening decade after decade. Both red and blue. So, depending on who's also in office, the DOJs of those appointed from the president will typically do what the president wants them to do. I mean, they lean that direction, typically. So, will anybody ever be held accountable? That is yet to be seen, other than the fall guys, the low-level people that really doesn't mean squat. Doesn't really get to the root of the problem. It's the upper echelons of all of these entities and bureaucracies of people that need to be cleaned out of the system to bring it back to some kind of healthy level. Need to get normal jobs that are actual production jobs that produce goods and services for the American people. Not saying every job in the government is an unnecessary one, because there are definitely a lot of them that are necessary. But there's also quite a lot of them that are way unnecessary. I mean, with all this money, the government just throws around and thinks that, you know, we're okay with them spending. I don't know, maybe enough people are okay with them just spending us into oblivion, but just be prepared. Because when this all hits the you-know-what, uh, it's going to be ugly and there's going to be some really hard times to come when that does happen. So once again, I just say, pick yourself up the Declaration of Independence and a Constitution copy and read through it. Just read through it and, you know, Burn some of this stuff into your brain. Then you can start asking questions. All right, or what are these guys doing outside of the purview of what our founding fathers laid out for us? Because that's pretty much the reason why we are where we are. So as to that, I will end this episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. 
Hope you'll join me again on the next one. Probably next week. More than likely, we're probably going to go into a once a week deal. Uh, unless I get some spare time that I can do more than one. But we'll probably just say one one a week. So when are we going to go back to a constitutional government? That's what I'll end on today. Thanks, everyone, again. Pass it on. You know the drill. Subscribe to the episodes if you want to keep getting uh, notifications when new episodes come up. This one is recorded on Anchor. It's a Spotify company. Um, It does post it to Spotify. Uh, I don't know how many other places. Pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts. This one's out there. The Nielsen Show. And if you want to send me an email, it is the Nielsen Show 2021 at Outlook.com. Also find it on Instagram if you'd like to follow. I also post these episodes there if that's where you like to get it. I have a page on Facebook for now, so don't make that your main source of finding this. Um, the Nielsen Show. And uh, let's go with that. Everybody have a good evening.